I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. We are talking boutiques today. We are talking about small businesses. We are talking about how to scale and all the things with Miss Sierra Stockland. And before I bring on Sierra, I am going to give you a little intro into who she is and what she does. So Sierra Stockland has owned and operated businesses since her early teens. As a serial entrepreneur, her business mindset and tenacity led her to opening her first store, Mama Mia. It was a high-end maternity store located in Fargo, North Dakota in 2006. Shortly after, she developed and opened Mode, M-O-D-E, a designer outlet store located next to Mamma Mia. In 2008, Sierra chose to merge her two concepts into Mode and develop the concept into a franchise. Her vast experience in both retail and wholesale industries led her to launch the first to market wholesale subscription box for boutique retailers, which she built and sold within 18 months. Wow. Most recently, Sierra has launched the Boutique Workshop, a coaching program for retailers. She currently lives in Franklin, Tennessee with her husband, Jim. There are two amazing children, Harrison and Isabella, and their great Pyrenees Bentley. Welcome to the show, Sierra. Hey, I'm excited to be here. You have quite the uh, the background in, in all the things. And before we dive in, I'm going to do my icebreaker question that I love to ask, which is... okay. Do you have, don't be scared. Uh, what is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? So my favorite cookie is peanut butter and they have to be squished, you know, thin with the fork. They have to have the fork marks. Um, so that's my favorite cookie, my favorite cookie memory. And I'm actually not really a sweets eater. I love like a bag of potato chips, but my favorite cookie memory would be my mom. Every Christmas would make Mexican wedding cakes. Um, and we always made them together. They're basically a lot of butter rolled in powdered sugar. So, okay. So even though I don't do a lot of cookies, I will eat peanut butter cookies and I will eat Mexican wedding cakes. Awesome. Well, that's, that's a very different answer. I, everyone usually says like chocolate chip and I love, I love asking that question. So yes. what, first of all, you're in Tennessee and you live with your husband and your kids and you said a great big dog. That's a big, yes. big dog. Big dog. Yes. And he's liking it now. So we just moved here a few months ago. Of course it's cool. So I'm anxious to see how he does this summer in Tennessee. Poor thing. Yeah. Oh. But, um, he'll probably spend a lot of time indoors in the air conditioning. But and so you moved from North Dakota to, to Tennessee? Yes. Yes. Wow, what a move. Why is yes. that? Um, a lot for the weather, honestly. Okay. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Fargo, North Dakota, and it's just so cold in the winter. The wind blows, there's so much snow. And I'm getting older, you know, and I just want to be comfortable. So we've always loved the Franklin, Tennessee area. And it was a good time with the kids' ages and my husband's job to take off and make an adjustment. So here we are. And how old are your kids? 18 and 16. Oh, okay. And they were okay moving away from their friends yeah. at that age. Really? Yeah. So Harrison's college now. Um, so he's starting new chapters anyway. Um, Bella's a senior in high school and um, she wasn't super thrilled, but she is excited about all the possibility, the options. Um, there's just so much here in Tennessee. So we're excited for her. 
Awesome. Awesome. So you owned in your, in your intro, we talked about you, you merged two concepts with mode and mama Mia, and then you turned it into a franchise. So how did you get into opening stores and becoming like an expert on that? Yeah. So lots of trial and error <laughs> for sure. Um, my, my grandpa and my dad own um, small businesses. So I wasn't foreign to the idea of just owning your own business. It, it never seemed odd or hard or strange to me. Um, and so I started my first business when I was about 13 and it was not on purpose. I started an acting company for homeschool kids and we ended up building that into a theater company um, that serviced homeschool private public health kids of all ages. So that was my first business. Um, and then we got married Jim and I got married, had a couple kids. I was like, I'm kind of tired of this. I've been doing it for a decade plus. I'm ready for my next adventure. And I had always wanted to own a store. And so I thought, you know, I never worked a day of retail in my life, but I thought, you know what, this is kind of the next chapter. Um, and in our small town in North Dakota, we didn't have a lot of maternity if any maternity options. And so I decided that would be a great niche. So we got into that. Um, and then mode came about just a few months later because of an opportunity with a bunch of off price inventory to sell that um, and then merge the concepts. And then we started getting asked, like, can do you franchise? Could we open one of these? And that's how I got into franchising. So a lot of just what's the opportunity? I'll take it and then I'll see where that lands me. That's kind of how I built everything. <laughs> sure. And so do you still run those stores now? No, no, I've been done for a few years out of brick and mortar, um, ended up selling the brand to one of our franchisees. Um, and then after I sold that, um, built the subscription box um, that you mentioned, which is just a wholesale box to bring beautiful product to boutique retailers, kind of like market in a box, like a virtual market. Okay. Um, and because of that started meeting boutique owners all over the country that just really needed help with inventory financials, profit of building profitability into their boutique business. Um, and that's how the coaching program was born. So I didn't set out to be a coach or a teacher. Those conversations just started happening and um, I knew there was a need. And so we began to really formalize the instruction with the boutique workshop. Right. Right. So then what do you, if there were say three things someone should do if they are looking to scale and sell a business, what would you say those were? First start with the end in mind. So think about what the end is and really build your plan accordingly. So a lot of times, you know, in business, when I'll say to a, a retailer or a small business owner, you know, what's your end game? Like, what do you envision five years from now, 10 years from now? And they're like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I want it to succeed. I want to make money. I might hear like, oh, I'd like more than one location, maybe. But a lot of times it's like, I don't know. I just want it to work. Um, but when we don't have the end in mind, we don't have a filter for decision making. So when I built the boutique box, the subscription box, I knew I wanted to build it and sell it quickly. And so because I had that vision defined, every time I made logistical decisions or hiring decisions, I thought, okay, would this work with what I want it to be doing or what I want for this company in a year and a half? And it really gives you a filter and a guide. So I think that would be important. Second, I think it's really important to understand your strengths and your weaknesses and define those right away. So something I did very poorly um, with both, you know, the acting company and then with the retail business for quite a while is just buying into that. We have to do all of the things and wear all the hats, which we have to do that to some extent. 
But then I think entrepreneurs tend to get a thrill from that or a high from that, Mm -hmm. or feel like our worth is in like, oh, I wear all the hats. I do all the things. And while you have to do that for a bit of time, your goal should be as quickly as possible to give those hats to people that are much smarter than you or much more skilled than you. So understanding what your skill set is, what you really love doing and leaning into that. Um, And then I think the third thing is just being willing to listen to your customers. Like as you're growing, listening to what they want versus what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I see a lot of entrepreneurs just getting so stubborn about like, this is how I want my business to look or the product I want to sell. But if that's not what your customers want or are buying, you can really hinder your growth and ultimately your exit plan. I, I agree completely. Cause when I started my business, I thought I was doing one thing and now I'm doing completely different because that is the need and the want, no matter if it was something I was like, Nope, this is what I wanted to do. You still have to meet the need of the consumer of your client customer or what people want from you and whatever it is that we think people are going to want can be completely different. Yes. I was just talking to one of my clients about this exact thing. She's doing an amazing retail business and the product she's selling, that's doing really, really well, high margins, great volume. She's not super passionate about it. And she's like, I really want my people to be buying this, but they buy it and they just don't buy it. What should I do? And so we talked about like leaning into what's working and finding a way to be passionate about that. Cause you don't have to just, you know, doldrums every day. I just hate what I do and I hate what I sell, but you can find a way to be passionate about what the people want. Otherwise you're just constantly bucking that and you're going to find your sales dwindling and you're not going to have the growth that you want. So yeah, just had this conversation with her. It's hard though. It is hard because if you have your mind set on something or that's the direction you want to go and you have this passion, but it ends up morphing into something else. Then you have to decide if it's going to be profit or passion. Like if it's going to be a passion project or like a profitable, profitable business. Yes. And, you know, I always tell clients if they come to this road, profit can drive giving back to what you're passionate about. So maybe you aren't like, maybe you, the product you're selling is doing really well and you're not like super thrilled about it, but it's making you money. It's giving you peace of mind. It's providing for your family and giving you excess profit so that you can take that and invest it in opportunities or in other people that you are really passionate about. Otherwise we have these businesses that are not profitable and we're so stressed because we can't pay our bills. We never pay ourselves, but we love what we're selling. <laughs> like right. that doesn't do us any good. So really thinking about it that way, um, instead of I'm stuck in something that I wouldn't choose, how can I use this to drive what I really love over here? Right. Exactly. And, and, I found myself doing that in my business where I pivoted and I started helping coaches with more Instagram and more time management needs in their business and not the more like the home side of things because doing market research and being in business for a couple of years now, I've learned that most women, because that's what I, who I typically work with, uh, would prefer to invest their money or their spouse would support them investing money in their business than in something that they need for the house. Yes. Right. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? We learn that as we go. Yes. So market research yeah. is, is key. Yes. And so how do you avoid failing in business? I don't think you avoid it. I think you choose that every failure becomes a learning opportunity to get you to the next step mm-hmm. or the next stop in the road. 
um because we're going to make lots of mistakes we're going to try things it's not going to work honestly if you're putzing along and just chugging down the road and everything's smooth all the time you're probably not pushing yourself challenging yourself and you're missing out on a lot of opportunity because when we are falling down or when we're super sore you know when we're training mm -hmm. out that means that we're doing things and we're working and we're moving forward if we're always comfortable in our bodies like you know i'm just kind of talking about like working out now um we're always comfortable we're never sore we're then most likely we're out of shape and we're not growing and challenging yourself right so i think we're going to fail it's just what you do with that and how you i like to say perceived failure so how we talk about those failures how we um lean into them and just realizing that they're part of our story and there's nothing to be ashamed of I right. failed so much. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, but that doesn't mean that you are. It just means that the idea didn't work or maybe it wasn't the right time for it. So right. yeah. to look at it like, well, we could try it again later. We can approach it in a different way. Yes. So it doesn't Absolutely. mean like the whole thing was a failure. Right. Absolutely. And so what should a small business owner concentrate on if they would like to build more profit in their business? Because we all start yeah. businesses wanting to make money right off the bat, which sometimes unless you're like super, super lucky, it takes a lot of time. Yes. Um, well, I'm profit first certified coach. So of course I'm going to say profit first, like really thinking about taking that profit first, paying yourself, even if it's $10 a month, literally, even if it's $10 a month that you get in that habit of taking your profit first before you just spend everything. So what we do so often as small business owners is, you know, our, we'll have a great sale on a weekend or we'll have a big launch. We have all this cash in our account, like, oh my goodness, now I'm going to hire this person. I'm going to sign up for this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to market. Um, and then, oh my goodness, all the cash is gone. Now I'm freaking out. I got to run sales. I'm desperate again. And we live on this roller coaster. But mm -hmm. if we can learn to manage that profit first, so how do I save? How do I pay myself consistently? Those disciplines actually yield more profit, which is interesting. Um, and then just focusing on the numbers, just the, the simple numbers. You don't have to become an accountant or a bookkeeper or even love it, but just understanding like, what is my margin? What's my break even number? Taking our big sales goals and knowing how to break them down into bite sized actionable steps. So we actually march forward instead of getting to the end of the month and like, oh my goodness, I don't have enough money and I fell short. Um, just breaking those numbers down. Those are things that I love to help business owners with. You should know your numbers inside and out. What's going yes. in, coming in, what's going out, how much you and have. Why. To yeah, and why, right? Because I'm terrible with numbers, but it is very important because then those little tiny transactions add up. Yes, they do in either direction. Yes. So those little tiny transactions can add up to amazing things if you're tracking and measuring, but they can also add up to big deficits if you're not tracking and measuring just those little pieces. So important. Right, right. Absolutely. It's like, you know, if you have a Dropbox and you have to add more memory or Google Play, like that 199, and now it's like yes. 4.99, and it just creeps up there. You have to, you have to keep track of that. It's like when you go to Target and you're like, everything I bought was like ten dollars. Why right. is my bill three hundred? I don't understand because it adds up very, very quickly. Target yes. is super dangerous, and they and it's I so fun. I did, and I'm sure you know about this. Like, there's a science behind how stores are laid out. Like Target mm -hmm. is designed for you to walk in and spend more than what you came in with. On and think purpose. you need so many things that you never knew you needed. Yes. And they actually model the store and actually 
do it in that way because there's a whole science behind it. People come in yes. and tell them exactly what to do and they do it. Yep. And so Very do you think um, with the finances, is that why coaches have such a hard time scaling? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. I think coaches have time, hard time scaling because we we forget that we have to have some, this is my own philosophy, so people can take or leave it, but I think coaches need to have some sort of one-to-many offer mixed in with their one-on-one. -on -one. Um, because if we only do one-on-one, -on -one, like we can get to critical mass. I mean, you could be a, do a million dollars in revenue as a one-on-one -on -one only coach. Um, but the scaling comes much more quickly. If you have some sort of one-to-many offer where you're giving back to a multitude of people, seeing more results even quicker because there's a mass quantity. So that's really where the scaling comes. Otherwise we're just constantly trading hours for dollars mm -hmm. and we run out of hours. So if you have a one-to-many offer of some sort, then you're, you're trading much more than just your time for money, which we run out of that, re that time resource. Sure. And you have to make sure too, if you are doing a one-to-many that you are equipped to handle the many, right? Whether that be you have someone yep. on the Zoom with you fielding questions, or you are able to speak in general and not so specific because then that big Q and A at the end can turn into what would be, what probably, what would it cost you to, you know, be for yeah. like one hour of your time? Yeah, that's something. And you know, one to many doesn't mean you have to have 200 people. Right. You could have three, right. You could have two, you could have five, you know, so having some sort of mastermind program. Um, and then exactly what you said, that is such a good point. I think that coaches in any group coaching setting really need to be the master of the round table. So we've all been through those round tables where the one person sits down and they tell their lifelong story mm -hmm. and the moderator doesn't know how to shut that down. And, you know, you I paid to go to this conference. I sat at a round table for 30 minutes, never got to ask my question, listen to this random person rant and rave about whatever their background was. And the moderator did a poor job. So as coaches in a group coach setting, you have to get very good at being an amazing moderator where you can sense the room, even if it's virtual and you can bring people in and out of conversation that you can have that tough, like, thank you so much, Susan. I love what you had to say, but we're going to listen to what so-and-so has to say now. Like, I'm going to let you table that for a minute. And right. that's really, you know, uncomfortable, but learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable um, is important with any one-to-many type situation. Yes, because everyone, even whether they paid or they are free, they are all spending the same amount of time. And so everything yes. should be honored. And yes. it, it's very important to remember that. And you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but there are some people that are very long-winded or they just don't read the room the right way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One other thing that might contribute to if someone's like, I just do not want to do one to many. I hate that idea, Sierra. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. <laughs> I'll give you another thought. <laughs> um, another reason coaches might have trouble scaling is time management. Mm -hmm. So learning to really manage it. Cause if you are only going to, and even if a one to many, you still manage your time, but for sure, if you're one to one and you're trading dollars for hours and you know that that is limited, those hours are limited learning to be very conscious of how you manage your time and being really wise with how you time block and how you stick with it and how you get yourself um, really disciplined with your time. I think when coaches 
because it's easy for us, right? We work from home. And so it's very easy to let coaching calls go over or mm -hmm. give free calls to people because we feel bad for them or, you know, <laughs> or do two calls in the morning and then run around and then do two calls, right? And so we don't manage our time well, and we can't scale if we're not managing our time. So that might be another thing someone could look at. 100%. Think about maybe when like you have your CEO day where that's the day you work with mm. purely on your business. You don't schedule calls. It's all back office or maybe it's just whatever it is you need to do. You schedule client calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays only between this time and this time. You know, I try to I try to do like my recordings only Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. It gives me Mondays and Fridays to play catch up or that's typically when like the kids are off of school. So yes. just being strategic with how you are running your business and where you're grouping your stuff and your efforts. Yes. Yes. And that'll give you back some more time, if you will. It will. Um, I've, I follow Michael Hyatt. I'm in one of his mastermind and I love what he said. He has front of stage and back of stage days. And I thought I love illustrations. So I was like, that makes sense. So like Monday, Friday, Monday, Friday are back of stage. Nobody sees me. Um, it's all back in work. Like you said, your CEO days. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are front of stage. That's where I'm on calls. That's where I'm taping my videos. That's where I'm making my content. It's mm -hmm. like I'm forward facing. And so if someone really needs an illustration, that's a good way to think of it. And then just being disciplined to stick with it. So yes. even if you have that client that's like, but I love you, except I can only do calls on Mondays. It's okay to say, I'm sorry, that just won't work. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to say no, but when we say no, we're actually saying yes to a lot more opportunity or time. That's a great, great point because it is so hard to say no, especially if you're trying to bring in as many clients as you can and you want to make it work mm -hmm. and you're like, well, I'm not doing anything. I am, but I'm not. But if you also give in to one, then you're giving into many at some point. Yes. And then what happens? That whole Monday is gone. Dominoes. Yeah. Dominoes. <laughs> all crashing down. It's a mess. Absolutely. And I guess that kind of tips on the question I had about simplifying your business to build more profit. I mean, that's, it is not brain science. Like you just have to be simple and keep it simple, right? Yes. If you are overcomplicating it and thinking too much into it, then probably it's not the best idea. Yeah. I think just simplifying down, niching down is another, you know, thing that we may have heard as coaches, um, which is just a form of simplification. It's not saying yes to everything and everyone, whether it comes to the content that we coach on or whether it comes to our time management or, you know, or bringing in additional resources or 1099 employees, like just staying really simple and really, really focused um, so that we can do what we do really, really well and to an optimal level instead of becoming just so um, wishy-washy at everything and right. so, so sort of good at all of it. That's not simplification. So, and I think we have to keep doing those audits on ourselves. Like we yes. can get to a place where it's good and the rhythm is good and then we grow and things become complicated again. So we simplify down again. So it's good to keep that audit of our own time and our business going as well and staying open to, you know, continuing to simplify down as we grow. And I like the way that you said it was simplifying and not niching down. I mean, I think that niching is that word has been overly used. And so it gets uh, confusing for some, but if you just simplify it and just say like, you want to be the, the master, you know, of one thing, you don't want to be yes. a Jack of all trades or a Jane of all trades, right? You want yes. to just be known for the one thing. And my clients will consistently message me and be like, Hey, I saw this person doing this. Like, do you think I should do something like this for this? And I said, you could, I mean, it looks nice, but make sure that it you're doing you like yes. if you're 
doing it the way you like to do it and you just see someone else, it's a little bit of a distraction for you. You could take tips and be like, oh, I see how she did. I like that. I'm going to, you know, implement some of those techniques. Great. But make sure that you're still sticking with what you want to do and don't be doing it just because you saw it and you thought it was cool. Yes. Or just because you can. Right. Yeah. About a year ago, um, one of the gals that was in one of my programs or my free group or something was like, Oh my goodness, you should really work with brand new boutique owners. Like you could help them and give them a good foundation right away. And all the things that absolutely, yes, I could. And so I did, and it didn't work because it's not, I mean, it kind of sort of worked, but I wasn't passionate about it. I looked at those those things on my calendar and I'm like, Oh, now I have to do this. Right. Cause my passion is really, I have a specific avatar of retailer, like where they are in their business, how much money they're making that they understand a bit of their numbers. And I have that clarified. And so, yes, while I could work with every retailer, cause the concepts are the same, mm -hmm. um, it's not what I'm passionate about. And it was a distraction, which is exactly what you said. It was a right. distraction and took away time and energy from the clients that I love working with and that are actually my avatar. So I think we can do a lot, but that doesn't mean we have to do a lot. And just to clarify, when you say avatar uh, for the listeners, it means like your person, like the person that you are trying to reach and the person that you're trying to help, which is, you know, all the way down to like what age they are, how much they make you know, even like how many do they kids like they coffee have. or tea? Yeah. Yeah. Like, exactly. do they, do they, do they garden? Do they not? Do, and then name it, like name that avatar. Yes. A lot of people won't, if you put a name to it, like who are you, you know, Jane or, you know, Sally, whoever it is, yes. like, who are you trying to see? And most of the time I've come across clients that are trying to name their avatar. Or think of the person. It's typically either a version of themselves, either early or a current or it was the exact first client that they, that they had. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's so interesting. We do those avatar exercises. I love that you said, name it. Cause that makes it real. It's no longer this vague idea of what we think our business is for or who it's for, but it's very specific. And then we know how and where to market. We know how to write those, you know, those, oh, I don't even know where it's write on social media. Well, suddenly we know how to, because we know exactly how our avatar or our person would think how she would have a conversation with us. It just makes so much more simple. Um, all of the pieces of our business. Right. So before I post, you'll like, if you say my avatar's name is Jane, it's like, would Jane find this helpful today? Mm, or yeah. does Jane need this today? Mm, maybe not. Maybe she needs this, but you're thinking of, of a person and it personifies it more, which then it connects you more to whatever it is you're putting out or yeah. selling or whatever you're doing at that time. Yeah. So good. Oh, good. Well, I, you know, a little bit, I, you're, yeah, you're, I you're such a guru with all these things. You have such great tips and this has been a really amazing conversation with lots of good tips. And I would love for you to uh, share with our listeners, uh, where we can find you, how you help in your, you know, uh, you have a boutique coaching program, correct? Yes. And yes. so a little bit more about that in case uh, someone wants to to look you up and reach out. Yeah, for sure. So probably the easiest way would be my website, theboutiqueworkshop.com. So make sure to have the done there, theboutiqueworkshop.com. Um, yeah, so I have two programs, the Boutique Workshop Tribe itself is content. Every month we take one subject and break it down into bite-sized actionable steps and do it together in a community. It's a phenomenal group coaching program. So I'm really intentional about making sure everyone in the program feels like they're a fit, they get their questions answered. Mm -hmm. They make progress. 
because all of us have signed up for things and never completed them or felt completely lost or like, oh my goodness, I can't even be seen and heard. That won't happen unless you choose not to be seen and heard. Right. You Um, have to participate. You have to to do the work too. But if you show up for me, I will show up for you. So next month we're working on profit first, which is awesome. So we just take one concept a month. And then my mastermind is the accelerator. So we just take everything we're doing in the boutique workshop and then we accelerate it. So we really focus on our numbers in the accelerator program, um, another group coaching program, but much smaller and much more numbers and profitability driven. So that's where you can find me. And that's what I do. Wonderful. Well, we appreciate you and the listeners I'm sure found this very, very educational and I would dive into your your program like tomorrow, if, uh, I had a boutique or something that I was like selling at the time, like right now, because I think that you, because it really, it with inventory, because I think that again, when, when you have a small business and I've run into people and even still like they, they have these small, they've all started them through the you know, pandemic where they're now selling jewelry or they created something and now they're recreating it and they made a business out of it, but they need to scale and they really want to pursue it more. So it's now is the time to really, now that things are coming back and yes. now, you know, to really learn and, and push through. Yeah. Dive in and build a good foundation. Right. Cause so I'm important. a big believer and I know not everyone is, but if you're going to do something, I like to do it right the first time or from the beginning, yes. because you're spinning your wheels and you're doing all the things, but if you're skipping steps or you're not really t- being intentional, then mm-hmm. you're just, you just wasted a bunch of time. And then what I know. happens? You have and to trying to over. save a hundred dollars and end up losing $5,000 to save a hundred. Cause we don't want to buy that right tool or get that right coaching help, which I know that you believe in that, like having that coach, like have someone that's been there and done that and can save you so much time, energy, and resources, cash resources by just doing things right the first time. Like you and said, finding a coach that has a coach, you want to make sure that your coach is yes. also being coached because I, you don't know everything. You're just in a different stage than where you are. I mean, we're just mm-hmm. a few steps ahead of who we're really teaching and just to, we always want to uh, improve ourselves too. Yes. Yes. A coach that's really teachable. And that, like you said, that's learning themselves and has a coach so important so important shows that you're open to, to suggestions mm-hmm. and growth as well. Yes. Not just, this is the way it is. Absolutely. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much again and, uh, enjoy Tennessee and thank you. that awesome big dog of yours. <laughs> yes. And we'll make sure all the links are in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the conversation. hundred percent. Well, thank you so much listeners. And till next time I'll catch you on another episode of the chaos and cookies podcast. Bye. Thank you for listening to the chaos and cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with follow the crumbs, to the Facebook group, or visit the chaos and cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See y'all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies.